0: to the Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the podcast professionals. These are the stories of Australia's men and women, our coaches. In the main, they haven't been told uh, and we thought it was way overdue for that to happen. Honoured this evening uh, here in Melbourne to talk to Tanya Oxterby, the manager, head coach of Bristol City women's team as well as the England Under-19 teams. Tanya had a, a wonderful career as a professional both here in Australia and in the UK um, has been got a wonderful experience in both football and futsal in development um, as assistant coach in the professional world as well as now head coach as well so welcome to the football coaching life Tanya Oxtoby.
1: Thanks for having me
0: great great to hear an Aussie with a bit of a pommy accent mate
1: yeah it's a bit of a hybrid isn't it <laughs> after five years' I'm just going to have to go with it I think <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, we might kick this off, you are, I'm going to guess, one of the first coaches in the world to actually be on maternity leave.
1: That's what they tell me, um, which which is astounding, really, when you think about kind of the day and age we're in, but, um, yeah, I was told that, and I was a bit gobsmacked, but here we are, um, you know, probably a day away from the big arrival, and, um, yeah, it's been a whirlwind probably the last nine months, so very grateful to be in the position that I'm in and everyone's been really supportive so can't complain
0: yeah isn't it fantastic to see the game finally finally working out that that female coaches are integral to the game and that um hey if you're a female coach there's a chance that you're going to be pregnant through that journey and a player we had a chat with Heather Garriac recently about playing um while pregnant as well so that's wonderful to see um you've also had an interesting year obviously in the UK with COVID but you you're the first person i've actually spoke to that that got got covid as well so how, you know how did you cope with covid and how did you cope with coaching before you had covid around covid i'm guessing
1: yeah it was um definitely an experience let's put it that way i think the whole the whole year has been really stressful um mm. i think you know when when the season was ended last year our last season was ended i suppose is the best way to put it straight away we were thinking about how we were going to make this season work. And there was so many things that were going to go into that, that were going to be different as everybody now has experienced. Um, And that puts a load of pressure, especially on smaller clubs that probably don't have the resources in terms of the staffing to be able to make those changes. So really difficult, short pre-season. So we had loads of injuries at the start of the year, which was, you know, made our, Made our squad really thin, um, and trying to keep everybody safe was really, really difficult. Um, and lo and behold, uh, <laughs> everybody else seemed to be okay. And then, uh, yeah, I, I got COVID, and um, it was very, it was very scary, really scary yeah. experience. You know, you don't know what to expect because it affects everybody differently. I, yeah. I was sort of six months pregnant, wow. so my first thought was, gosh, you know, how's it going to affect yeah. him? So. Yeah, knocked me, knocked me for six for about probably six weeks or so. Um, I, I was back at work after, I think, about three and a half, four weeks, but it oh. yeah, never really was the same, to be honest, in terms of energy levels and things like that. So really, really difficult. But in a way, it was a – I won't say a positive experience, but in a way, it was it was a good highlight to the players and the staff to yeah. make sure that we continued to do the things that had kept everybody safe up until that point. Um, and I'm just really, really grateful that obviously none of them kind of got it because obviously our process has worked because yeah. otherwise it would have spread, so
0: yeah.
1: not a great experience but one that, you know, I, I embrace the antibodies for the next, you know, <laughs> six to eight weeks or whatever it is, so, um, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things, yeah. isn't it? It's, um, just glad to come out the other
0: side. Tanya, did did. You learned, Was there anything? Obviously, COVID was is horrific. Uh, its impact on the world. But I think there's been some learnings. A couple of the coaches that I've, we've spoken to here have have learned a bit about. Ange who learned how to use Zoom during COVID. You know, so that that's probably a great thing. Were, were there any Were there any upsides to to COVID and, and the way that you managed the team or handled the team?
1: I would say the the one upside I found is you find out a lot about your group in terms of the character that they have and whether they're solution focused or whether actually they're just kind of a little bit more passive and, um, you know, see it as a, as a hurdle that's going to stop performance. And, um, you know, we, we as a club, were not in the greatest position, um, leading into sort of coming into that Christmas period. But what I learned about my group is actually that they are amazing. And, um, when I when I did get ill you know they were the first ones that were sort of saying oh can we bring some you know food around is there anything that we can do because obviously you can't leave leave the house and things yeah. and um, you know but the way that they embrace change you know we um, Gary Prober our, our head of academy came in and I trust you know trust Gary with my life and and he yeah. came in and took the girls and the way they embraced that change and um, you know, just you learn a lot about about individuals and about your group, and I think that's probably the one thing for me. I, I've seen strength where maybe I didn't realize there was as much as what there is. And, um, yeah, I mean, doing everything online is not, you know, conducive to performance, but it's what we have to do. And yeah. um, the, the way that they adapt and roll with things, because obviously every day is different and there's a whole new challenge every day. Yeah. You know, you think you're going in and doing one thing and actually then processes or procedures change, or you go into a deeper level of lockdown, you have to think on your feet. And yeah, the playing group, the way they've adapted and changed and um, embraced that. And, you know, they've come out the other side now. They're they're doing really well in terms of their performances and uh, clawing their way off the bottom. And and that's, you know, that's one of the positives for me because they'll never, hopefully, fingers crossed, never have to go through an experience like this again, um, to this level. And it will, you know, really give them something to draw on as individuals.
0: Yeah. Amen, I'm not going through it again. Um, Tanya, here in Australia, it's probably fair to say that most people would know you for the four years you spent um, at Perth Glory as the captain. I think two or three most glorious awards for your fantastic work and and leadership there. Um, In doing the research here, I was absolutely blown away how a kid from um, Wickham, no, not Wickham, in the pilbara region of western australia which is about 1500 odd kilometers north of perth um, how on earth did a kid in wickham get into football and and end up playing uh, professional football
1: yes really good question actually when you put it like that isn't it um yeah grew up in in a small country town um you know played all sports Mum and dad played all sports um basketball swimming touch rugby um soccer football the whole lot and um i think for me the you know my dad was the coach of the, of the boys team and my brother and i both played um i the the story goes basically that um my dad he took over and he was coaching the team and and he was like you know you can either come and join in or you can sit in the car and, and kind of wait and Obviously, it's 44 degrees up there. So I think I'm, I lasted for half a session, if that, and then I was scurrying out onto the grass. So um, the rest is, is kind of history from there, really. Um, I, I actually preferred basketball, I'm not going to lie, um, when, I, when I was growing up and thought I was a bit of a baller, but uh, got told very quickly I should probably pursue football instead. So, um, yeah, mum and dad sort of sent me down from... Um, from Wickham to Perth to, to attend a school that, you know, was specializing in, in football. And um, it kind of grew from there, really. And I never really wanted to leave. I was quite comfortable, really happy, um, you know, knew everybody and then uh, got sort of kicked out the nest, kicking and screaming. And um, yeah, it's probably one of the best things I've ever done for me, to be yeah. honest.
0: That's wonderful. Okay, we don't, let, let, let's, let's put playing aside. So I'm going to guess around about. 2007 was your was is that your entry point into coaching or how did you get into coaching
1: yeah um i started it was almost by default to be honest i i started coaching when i was still playing um we we had you know i I was i think i was with maybe western waves or or something like that at the time and the, the state teams were around and um you know they, they wanted female role models um to mm. sort of integrate into those state teams and i just thought it was a great idea you know there was no real pressure i, I think i went in as an assistant and um i loved it you know yeah. i loved working with the kids it's that they, they just they they want to learn they're like sponges um and if you can help them in any way um you know that was where i really got the bug for it so yeah you know, that progressed, obviously, into sort of NTC teams and um, head coach roles with, with the state teams. And, and I look back now and think of some of the things that, you know, some of my coaching methods, and I, I don't know what I was thinking. But, you know, that it's just so important that, that our female players have female role models as well. And mm. I guess that's kind of how I fell into it, really. And I actually think it made me a much better player because I wasn't a very good player. But the coaching side of things helped me to understand you know, tactically and and technically probably a little bit better and and probably prolonged my my career a little bit, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Uh, Ronnie Smith um, tricked me into doing what was a provisional licence when I was about 19 or 20. And (laughs) at at that point, I'd never really had a a coach in terms of someone that, that, you know, coaches in in, in terms of changing behaviours. I'd had the the rough and ready shout, scream, push-ups, laps, get in there and kick them hard and, and and all of that stuff so it was really really interesting because it, it certainly opened my lot my eyes uh, and really then made me appreciate the really good coaches that you know I had along the journey where was your first full-time opportunity in coaching did that come as a, the, the gig in in <laughs> I, I was amazed here Doncaster Rovers Bells playing and then coaching was um Nottingham, Nottingham Forest ladies as well
1: yeah i you know what the first full-time coaching opportunity would have been my bristol gig yeah you know up until that point i was i was still involved at quite you know really high levels i was working for myself so um i had a coaching business and i was working within the pathways um you know, at Birmingham, um, Birmingham City and Notts County. Um, obviously, I was, you know, still playing at, at right. Donnie and um, and coaching at uh, Forest. So they were all sort of part-time bits and pieces. And then um, it was enough to, to be a full-time wage, but obviously you don't have that security. You don't have the, the, the added bonuses, I suppose, when you work for yourself and, yeah. um, you know, found that out quite, I guess, the hard way with Notts County folding and um, being left without, you know, without a job. But, yeah, Bristol's my first full-time, um, I wouldn't say secure, but my first full-time uh, <laughs> gig in football. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely allows you the time and the space to really um, focus on what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I think that's really important.
0: Yeah. I, I saw some vision, I, I think, from Optus um in, no. in do, doing the research here and, and it looked like the training facilities are, are absolutely first class or ser- certainly the facilities you were training on that day and, and yeah. that that's I, I guess where the FA Women's Super League is the 12 teams in it are at that level and and I'm assuming the, the big money clubs go, go up from there
1: Yeah, it's one of the things the FA have worked really hard on is making sure that holistically the game is kind of where it needs to be and we don't just want teams throwing money at, um, their playing squads. We want to make sure that actually we're providing that performance environment. So there's, there's quite strict criteria for clubs around what they provide for their players. Um, you know, whether that be, um, sports science or or the medical provision or the training facilities and, and what goes with that. And, um, yeah, that was our men's training ground. So we're split across, across two sites and, um, you know, really, really lucky and privileged to have that opportunity because it just, as a coach, it just takes away another barrier. You don't have to yeah. think about anything. Um, you know, everything's at your fingertips and, and you can just go, go about doing what it is that you love doing without having to think, oh, gosh, you know, do I need to book that? Do I need to make sure, like, who else is going to be on at the same time and what crossover are we going to have? Um, you know, and, and, yeah, that that facility's... Um, it's actually just been upgraded as well, so... Uh, should be fully opening sort of towards the end of this year, which will be great.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And how do the is there a relationship between the 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 women's team and and the men's team as as part of the clubs? You've been in um, a number of the clubs in and around the Midlands. Is there is there a, a symmetry, a unity to it, or are they separate entities?
1: Um, I would say there's a bit of both. I, I'd say depending on which club you go to, there's probably more symmetry than than others. Um, Some clubs have the women's team under their umbrella. um, And what that sort of means on an everyday level is obviously we get to wear the badge and, you know, use some of the facilities and, um, you know, they they might provide some funding, but it it does sit a little bit separately. Um, Whereas other clubs within the the Super League are fully immersed. Um, The women's program is part of what they do. And when you think about it, it, it's almost sort of three strands. So you've got your men's um senior team your women's sort of senior team and then the academy structures so um it just depends on on which club you go to and what their kind of ethos is i suppose but you don't really survive um you know unless you are attached to a to a men's club i think there might be one in the championship that's not attached to a men's club um so yeah everybody is is generally under the men's umbrella but the you know the kind of symmetry that goes on within that is very varied
0: yeah and, and, of course, we, we had a bit of a chat offline. I, I believe that you're probably working with one one of, if not the lowest budget um, in the FA Women's Super League. Um, <laughs> coming in in the car today, I was listening to a podcast, not this one, of course, um, with someone talking about um, aspiration versus capability, which which I thought was a really intriguing conversation. I thought, I'll, I'll have to chat to Tanya about that because with the, you know, I think coaching is one of those areas where we can get a bit snobby and say, you know, I want to play a possession-based, high-intensity attacking brand of football. I've done that, go there, we want to do this. And the reality is the budget that we've got, the group of players that we've got to work for, is that is aspirational, but today that might not be how we can go about it. Do you think that's a, a fair statement?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think a part of coaching is assessing what you've got available and getting the the best out of um you know out of that group and um helping them reach their potential that you don't want to set people up to fail um whether that's staff or players and yeah we'd all love to set you know we'd all love to play pretty football and uh you know <laughs> build from the back and and create loads of opportunities and the reality is you know in particular in in my situation is that's just not that's just not possible and um you know' it's, but but what it what it, what it is about is making sure that the players understand that they are capable of greatness they are yeah. capable of achieving things but actually what they're capable of achieving is a little bit different to maybe what you first set out um, you know to, to go after and you've got to get them to buy into that and and not feel like they're less than because they're not. Um, you know sometimes it's a situation that you're in sometimes actually you've just got so many injuries. That you are plugging holes everywhere. Um, people are playing out of position, and therefore, you know, you've got to adapt and adjust, and and um, you know, you've got to set that as a challenge to your group, and you've got to get them to embrace it, and you've got to get them to be proud when they achieve, you know, success doing that. And um, yeah. I think from the outside, people look at results and they think, oh, you know, sometimes oh you're at the bottom of the le- you're at the bottom of the league, or you've you know lost I don't know you know nine nil to Chelsea or something like that. But actually, if you're in inside the bubble and you understand kind of the barriers and the things that are being thrown at, at the playing group every single day you might look at that result a little bit differently and I think yeah. that's just across sport I don't think that's just in football so it's our job as coaches to make sure that the players really understand the context and they buy in and you know like you say sometimes the reality uh is a little bit different you know to what you actually were hoping to achieve
0: yeah yeah no Thank. thanks for that I, I like that if I can just go backwards a little bit, you, you were talking before about um, Bristol being your first full-time job. I've got a daughter that's a professional basketballer, and <laughs> I look at her life as a as a professional basketballer and compared to the life of the, the players that I work with at, at Melbourne Victory, and it's just so different. You know, the professional male footballer goes here in the morning they prepare they train they have lunch they see the doctor here the physio here they go to the strength and conditioning room here they go down the hallway to the ice baths um for for a female athlete that's obviously very different and and for a coach that's obviously very very different again how do you how do you cope with that is it do you grow into that or is there a process that, that that you go through how do you keep your sanity and and to be able to keep all those balls in the air
1: yeah i think um there's there's probably there's two there's two things to that one is um trying to be as resourceful as you can um with with limited um budget and availability so there's always opportunity um you know when whenever a barrier comes up there's an opportunity to overcome that and uh You just got to think outside the box a little bit. So for me, um, it's about being resourceful um, and not accepting. I I don't, you know, for me, I don't accept that the girls get less than. Um, So if I can go and source it somewhere else and be a little bit creative, then I will, because I think they deserve it. Um, You know, and and it's it's not ideal that you have to do that still. Um, You know, I want to make that really clear. I, I don't I don't think that that's acceptable. But what I won't do is is take it as the norm and be like, okay, well, it's just the way it is because it, sh- it shouldn't be. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll go out of my way to be really creative, if you like, um, and think about how we can provide certain things for the girls that maybe our budget doesn't allow. Um, you know, and the bigger clubs, they have all of that at their disposal and therefore they have a, you know, prof- a um, performance advantage straight off the bat. So it's... It, You know, players have to feel valued. They have to feel like they're a a part of something and that, that, you know, you're asking them, like you say, to give up everything all day long. Um, And some of them go and and work afterwards because they have to top up their wage or or whatever it is. But when they're with us, they have to feel special and they have to feel like a professional athlete. Um, So, yeah, you know, for me, I'll I'll go out of my way to really think about how I can make that happen, whether that's linking in with a university or or something like that to to see if we can, um, you know, provide the best possible professional environment for them um, at the lowest possible cost. I sound like I'm a a supermarket salesman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, you sound like a coach trying to make it work. That's what I, I I just love (laughs) love the fact that um, coaches are just, you know, we should be leading the world in innovation because coaches just have to be innovative to get the job done. yeah, the, the. Can I also maybe the the last question solely around Bristol City? I'm you've you've had a interestingly, you sort of got into coaching in a development role, developmental role. Uh, that's been a part of many of the the jobs you've had in the UK. Would I be right in saying that because of the budget, that that's probably still a significant part of your role in working with Bristol City, and bringing those talented youngsters through and helping them develop?
1: Yeah, spot on. I think when I when i'll be really honest i i i was quite happy at birmingham um you know i, I, I was an assistant there to, to mark skinner and i was really enjoying my time and um the bristol job came up and i actually didn't apply for it initially i i didn't really even um look at it there was stuff um you know my brother had just passed away and, and i was dealing with that so it wasn't really something that was on my radar and yeah um they they approached me um and said you know would you be interested in, in having a conversation um you know which you know conversation never hurts um and that was part of the attraction was actually the way that bristol go about things in terms of developing their players and bringing them through i, th- I think that was probably the hook that that grabs the corner of my mouth if you like and dragged me <laughs> along for a deeper conversation and um I think the hardest part is at the moment with the league that we're in, we are in one of the best leagues in the world. There is no doubt about that. When you look at the investment that goes on, the new TV deals just come out, um, you know, it's only going to get bigger and bigger. And when you're trying to find that balance between developing individual players and developing the group and winning games, that's so difficult. Um, So people will look at Bristol and go, oh, they're They've been terrible for the last 18 months or, or whatever it might be, because our results haven't been what they were. Um, I would say that that's partly a reflection of, obviously, the um, the investment, but not from us, but from the league and from, from all the other yeah. clubs and, and how much money they're putting into it. And I think, you know, that that's um, – FaceTime, sorry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Technology is great when it works. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it's a reflection of the fact that actually clubs – some clubs are moving away from that developmental model and actually they're just – they're going and buying the best players because their ethos is different. Yeah. And um, I think Bristol's done a great job at staying in the best league in the world
0: yeah.
1: by developing their own players. And Ebony Salmon is a fantastic example of that. You know, she, she came to us on a trial. We've had her for two years now and she's just made her senior international, you know, debut yeah. and so proud of her. And, and she's a great example. We've got loads of kids that have come through our academy that are now first team players as well. So yeah, it might be a little bit um, rough from the outside, but from the inside, we know what we're looking to do. And, and it's really difficult to, to do that and get the balance right and make sure you get enough points on the board as well.
0: Yeah. D- does that mean for you as a coach that you spend um, more time still working on techniques, skills and behaviours as well as strategy and tactics?
1: I would probably say more on on behaviors (laughs) um behaviors and decision making is they're probably the two the two key things i think from a technical point of view the girls that come through sort of the regional talent centers and things like that they're they're probably there or thereabouts where they need to be but their tactical understanding their decision making a lot of the girls that come to us have been the best in their group for a long time so developing a little bit of that resilience and that understanding that they're no longer a you know big fish in a little pond is is probably part of it as well. Yep. Um, but, yeah, just trying to get them to, to make good decisions within our framework. So we've obviously got our principles of play and we know how we want to play, but making the right decisions at the right times, that's tough because in our league, if you make the wrong decision, generally you get punished that's... for it. And we've seen that over the last probably two years that – um, you know and and it's about making sure that they feel okay to do that, but they yeah. they they learn from it as well and um trying to get that balance right um and making sure that they they also understand that um you know not everything's gonna be handed to them on a plate uh, but we will do our best to provide the the best performance environment we can um and that they stay humble and that they keep working and use Bristol as a platform to, you know, bigger and better things. And I think you've seen that with the likes of, you know, you could list off probably four or five players. Lauren Hemp's a really good example. Um, you know, she's gone to Man City and doing really well. So not not through my time at Bristol, but she's a really good example of someone that's come through the system and then sort of moved on to a bigger and better club. So, yeah, um, yeah that's what that's what we're all about. And I think it's, it's just important that we set those players up because when they move on from us, you know, they're probably not going to get that amount of nurture, if you like, yep. in, in other environments. So they need to be robust and they need to be able to, to deal with that.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, was there a coach or coaches that had the most significance on you as you were a player? And, what, and why? Why?
1: Good question. Um, I'd, I'd say Alistair Edwards had a massive impact on me, just in terms of the the time that he came in. Um, I think he just finished playing, yeah. Um, and you know, he was heavily involved in the in the women's program. He was very much a, a, a like a, a you know human centered approach in terms of his coaching. I think that's rubbed off a lot on me because that's that's how I approach things as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he gave me the confidence when. You know, I was told that I'd never play at that level um, during his kind of period of time, and uh, you know, just don't even bother; it's, it's not going to happen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and he was the one that said, "You've got a choice. You've got a choice now. You either accept that, or you're going to fight it. What you know? What, what are you going to do?" So he he really taught me a lot about kind of myself and having confidence and belief in myself. Um, by he's the one that gave me the captaincy. I was probably quite young when mm-hmm. he gave it to me, and inexperienced in that area so he, he had a massive impact I think Jamie Harnwell towards the end of my career as well um, at Glory you know again that was probably quite a tough time in terms of our results and things but I learned a lot from him you know brought a lot across from the men's game in terms of um, processes and, and the way that he was methodical with opposition analysis and stuff like that so those two probably had a, a, a good um, chunk of impact on me I guess in my earlier days and and at the moment i've got a a great mentor through the fa who's not actually football related um you know she she worked she she previously worked in the army and and now she works for herself and um you know Mm -hmm. the likes of audrey cooper and and my mentor now uh you know that i wouldn't have got through the last 12 months without them to be honest because they're the people you go to when you doubt yourself. They're the people you go to when you don't know who else to turn to, and uh, yeah, they've been fantastic. So I'd say they've had a massive impact on keeping me in the game, yeah. um, when it's probably been really difficult. We
0: might, we might come back to that in a minute. I'd, I'd love to have a bit of a chat about resilience, but what's coaching? What is coaching?
1: Yeah, I think for me, coaching is just, you know, um, it's just, it's teaching. For, for me, anyway, it's trying to get your, it's trying to get your, um, whether it's your principles or the club's principles or, or whatever it is, your your ideas across to somebody else, um, and allowing them to, you know, absorb that, express themselves, and reach their potential. For me, that's coaching, and everybody's potential is going to be different. Um, not everyone's going to be an international footballer, not everybody is going to play WSL football. Um but if we've got you know academy kids that come through the system and actually the the best place for them is to play in the championship because that is their kind of where their potential lies to develop then i've you know I've done my job so yeah. coaching is about teaching it's about understanding it's about making sure that you put others ahead of yourself to allow them to reach their potential that that's how I would sum sum up coaching you know it's not about yeah standing there screaming and carrying on which I do do Let, let's let's <laughs> you know that does that does there is an element of that but yeah it's about for me leaving things in a better place than you know whether that's the environment or the players making sure that they're in a better place when they leave your environment um, is really important
0: yeah H- has your coaching changed over the journey
1: a hundred percent a hundred percent I think I think all coaches grow and, and change as they progress i'm I'm quite young in my journey still oh, i'd right. like to think um you know i haven't i've had a fair bit of different experiences but at this level this is my third season now as a head like a head coach or a manager and i look back on the first season we had a like a load of success um but actually the the detail and the level of i guess um kind of planning and things like that were very different to what they are now and i guess for me that's that's reflective of how the league has grown because if you stand still, you get overtaken and um, you're always changing kind of, you're always picking up, you know, coaching is also borrowing, isn't it? You know, taking little bits and and (laughs) then sort of stealing other people's ideas and seeing how that fits in obviously to your own kind of thoughts and beliefs. And um, so, yeah, definitely has changed massively the way I approach things. I think one of the, probably one of the key things that I do a lot better now is that emotional control and, the self-reflection that's gone on over the, probably the last um, two years to be able to understand myself better and know how I react to situations and make sure that I've got plans in place for that so that I'm, I'm consistent with what I do and, and I was as consistent as I can be um, and that, you know, I'm, I'm getting the best out of myself and obviously the group that I'm working with.
0: Yeah. If I can quote one of your players also from a clip on Optus of Sport you can get angry and sweary is that where yeah. the emotional emotional well, that, control yeah that's
1: actually australian <laughs> though right like, I, I think that's just a misinterpretation of where i've grown up from that's um yeah look i, I think the thing the thing is for me i've got I, i'm really clear on standards and mm. so like if you make a mistake and it's a tactical um you know decision making error or um you know i've got i've got sort of three things that i talk about it's either a um you know technical error a tactical error or it's an attitude error um yeah. and for me at our level you know if if you're making attitude errors I will I will lose lose my rag because that's the least that I expect from you as a, as an individual and and as a group um so that's when I can get a little bit mm, sweary, if you like <laughs> um tactical errors I'm I'm happy with that's my job as a coach to yeah. educate and and provide those scenarios and let players work through that and and technical errors generally speaking come from either tiredness or lack of concentration so yeah. again that might be where i kind of give a little bit of a a little bit of a rollicking if you like but um yeah i can i can certainly get sweary but it's i think for me it's about standards and making yeah. sure that those two areas are uh, spot on um, yeah. because it's really important because, you know, from my perspective, especially with the young group, that they know that that's the level they need to be at every single day.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, the In the incredible array of things that you've done, you've also got a degree in sports psychology and I think in the process of finishing your master's in sports psychology? Yep. That yeah, yep. that's a, a formal certificate that perhaps every 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 coach in the world has probably got in some way, shape or form. As as the as the academic side of that helped help significantly in your coaching, do you think?
1: Yeah, massively. I think it's really shaped who I or how I approach coaching. I think when you get to a certain level, um, most coaches would have a, a baseline of kind of um, tactical and technical information, and you know we you'd like to think that at, um, at that level you could kind of step into a job and, and you'd have that baseline and you'd know exactly kind of what you're going after. I think the human side is the bit that makes coaches different. Um, you know, your approach to management and leadership is very, you know, I'd say in particular in, in female sport that is something that is very, very key and um, that's what sets coaches apart is the way that they go about that leadership and management section and and I think my studies have really helped me in that you know understanding and trying to read people's body language making sure I've got good rapport with them I don't always get it right you know that's anyone that sits there and thinks oh yeah I'm I'm great at that and I never get it wrong that's that's probably half the problem um and it's about being able to set a good example for the for the players and the staff and be approachable and have clear boundaries and all of that sort of stuff is sort of built into to the degree side of things really. So yeah. I'm really lucky that I've got that to pull back on, you know, in particular when I, when things get a little bit cloudy and you're a little bit lost, um, you know, to be able to pull yourself back and have a bit of a self-reflect and, and think about the values that you've set for your group and, um, you know, w- what we're working towards and what the goals are yeah. for that clarity is really important.
0: No, I love that. Thank you. Have coaches from other sports have you looked to them for help or mentorship have you have you learned things from from coaches from outside of football
1: yeah I think part of the the, the program that I'm on at the moment with the FA um, they introduce us to a number of different um, people that work in high pressure or high- performing areas so whether that's the military um, you know we, we had a, a talk from um, one of the the netball coaches um in the in the super league over here and that was brilliant. Um some of the stuff that she was talking about was really, really resonated, I think, with the whole group and um building those links really important. Cricket's another you know great area to to link into. So and and men's football as well. Like it's a different beast, men's football. So to be able to have the opportunity to just kind of walk into a men's championship, you know, coaching staff set up and ask questions and look at how they do things and, um, you know, it's it's all part of the education process and, and sport is sport and they face the same challenges um, but the solutions are always probably a little bit different and uh, it's really, really nice to step outside of your football bubble and and look at kind of what what's going on and pinch stuff. I'm a, I'm a massive stealer so take anything
0: i can yeah no i love that I've i've made a lifetime journey out of pinching other people's information that's good the trick is being able to use it as well and wisely as yeah yeah, exactly yeah exactly (laughs) why do you do it why do you coach
1: i think it comes back to that, you know, um, if you were to ask me what my why is, it's um, to leave things in a better place than when I found them. And I I want, you know, in 10 years' time, I, I want players to feel like I was part of their journey. And, you know, they think, gosh, that was and a positive part of their journey, generally speaking, hopefully. Um, but, yeah, I want them to feel like I'm a positive part of their journey and that I had some some impact on them sort of being the person that they are. And um, I think that's why I coach. And that's not just players, that's staff as well. I think it's really, really important that, um, you know, if you're the leader of your club or, <clears throat> or you're the manager of your club, that you provide opportunities for others to progress in whatever area that they want. And you support that and, and you have some positive impact on, on them as well. That's really important as a female in a, in a head coach role we've got a massive responsibility to help other females come through in their given field as well. So it's not just players, but it's staff. And, and, you know, my why is I want want to be able to leave things in a better place than when I found them. And if I've done that, I've done my job.
0: Amen. I love that. I love that too. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. Today's guest is uh, manager of Bristol City, women's in the fa women's super league we're honored to have tanya with us today pushing ahead tanya we we had a bit of a chat last night about some of this stuff but how important have you found resilience to be as something that or for coaches in general how important is resilience to develop
1: yeah it's i think the word that the key word you said there is to develop i think people just assume that you you have it and it's um that's not the case i think it's such a difficult thing um you know professional sport is obviously high pressure it's why we do we love it because it because of that aspect yeah. it's when it all costs it's you know you're you're really accountable for what you say and what you do which is fantastic but when things are not going well um you know everyone's got an opinion um both <laughs> internally and externally um that's that's difficult and i think when you're young on your journey and you're still trying to find your own feet Um, and you've got, you know, you know, in my, in my situation, obviously we've got 30 players and staff that are, that are all quite young on their journey as well. And they're all looking to you for, I guess, leadership and, and guidance. And in particular with COVID it was, you know, everyone was scared. Like I don't think people really understand how scary a situation it is in terms of having to, When the entire country is in lockdown but you're being asked to go into work, that's difficult because you're trying to rationalize that. Mm. You want to do what you love and you're really privileged to do what you love when everybody else can't and that's a, you know, certainly don't take that for granted but it's difficult because people are scared and they don't have their support system around them, whether that's their family or their friends because they're in a bubble and they're isolated and You know when things aren't going well, and everyone's looking at you, and you're thinking, "I don't have the answers." <laughs> um, you either you either have to sort of own that, or you have to, to some degree, fake fake it so you make it a little bit, um, and be transparent and honest, but also reassure. And who then reassures the person that need that is giving all the reassurance? It's um yeah, it's a difficult one, and I think in particular and i don't i don't say this lightly but being a female head coach i think you know there's a lot of other a lot of other things that go along with that being a a female in a male orientated i don't like to use the word dominated but male orientated industry um you know if you don't have allies around you then it's a very lonely place and and you can really doubt yourself very very quickly and um i think for me it's been a really tough two years, but I've really learned who I can trust and who I can lean on for support. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the key bit to resilience is making sure that you know when to ask for help and, and be able to reflect enough to know where you are at, um, to know what it is that you need. Um, yeah. Because we ask our players for that all the time, right? <laughs> we ask them to reflect and kind of Think about what it is they want to work on or what they might need to, in terms of support. Or, yeah. But as coaches, do we do the same? Um, probably not so much because we're in it and we're just constantly battling our way through. Um, and it's important, you know, that resilience piece, it's important to take a step back, have a think about what it is, where are we going, how are we going to get there, and what do I need to get there? Um, because if you wear yourself out as the leader, the, the, you've got no chance. So. Yeah. It's a difficult one, resilience, and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, I've, I've got a sports psychology degree and I probably didn't even really understand the importance of it until I was in it. So, yeah. um, you know, and it's it's something that I'm so grateful for now because I just, yeah, I don't know how I would have got through the last probably, in particular, the last probably 12 months without it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Does it roll in, I, I can't, I couldn't help thinking, I was thinking through this the other day that... Um, there's so much talk about resilience today, there's so much talk about mental health, particularly for athletes, um, probably doesn't get mentioned as much for coaches. Coaches are, are not necessarily the best when it comes to looking after themselves. but, but do, you, do you think that that's important? do you think it's going to be going to be something that, that's going to become more important for both men and women coaches?
1: Yeah, self care is is vital, I think. And um, again, it comes back to that reflect, like that self reflection piece. What is it that makes you tick? And what is it that you know? What what is it that you need to make sure that you are working at your optimal, basically? And for me, I you know, I very my outlets very much. Um, like I'm I'm a massive introvert, so you know. I've been at work all day and I'm standing in front of people all day the last thing I want to do is come home and then have to put myself in that situation again so um I get my I talk about tokens all the time so I get my tokens to refresh myself back up Where, let's say it's five tokens you know that means yep. that I'm at my optimal um my tokens come from quiet time and yep. from exercise and from you know doing things that make me feel good um and if I spend four tokens at work because it's been a very stressful day or the nature of the job or whatever it is, I can't then go out and spend another three tokens because I'm in deficit the next day. So um, whereas extroverts actually probably get their tokens from going out and having dinner with somebody else. And so you've got to, as a coach, you've got to work out what, you know, what makes you tick. what, What makes you happy? Is it family time? Is it exercise? Is it... Is it reading a book? You know, everyone's different, and um, you've got to make sure that you're nice and balanced, so that when you're going in, you know, the next day that you're you're where you need to be. Because we are so much of our players and our staff that as leaders, if we're not if we're not kind of role modelling that, then it's very very difficult to hold people accountable. So, yeah, it's it's, it's massive. I think it's going to get a lot a lot more. Um, I hope it's going to be spoken about a lot more yeah. because. We're not robots, and I say that to the players all the time. We are not robots. Please don't treat us like robots because we don't do that to you. Yeah. Um, we're human, and we're going to have ups and downs, and we'll try and manage those ups and downs as much as we can. But, you know, treat us with the same level of respect and the same level of um, consideration and compassion as what we do to you. And I think that comes from the culture that you set, yeah. you know, right from the beginning, I suppose, with your group.
0: Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. That's That's fantastic. Um you you I think you said before you're 38 now 39 this year just about to have a beautiful baby boy tomorrow tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow um young young in coaching um what what have been some of your most enjoyable moments so far
1: Oh good question Um yeah I think I I think the first season at Bristol was um was amazing for me i i look back now and i i just think i probably didn't appreciate the success that we had as much as i should have because again you're just thinking about the next game and what are we going to do next season and um so yeah i think for me that 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 first season for a number of reasons not just the success that we had i think we finished sixth and you know again we had the second lowest budget in the league that year so it's Crazy to think where we finished, but yeah. to go in to an environment like that and have a group of players like we did and and staff and just really enjoy the ride um, at the top level, I think that was that was something pretty special. I look back on now and I just think, gosh, that was that was amazing. You know, to sit there at Christmas and have to reevaluate all of your goals because you smashed them all and you have to reset really <laughs> them for the group that just does not happen it just doesn't happen yeah. you know um very often so so that's probably one of my most enjoyable and proudest moments and i think because i doubted myself so much before i went into that job i i really didn't think i was ready for it i probably made every excuse in the book to not go for it if i'm really honest um <laughs> and and i'm just really lucky that i had really good support um from my family and friends pushing me to take that that job and that first 12 months was, was amazing. And um, just, it's a time that sort of shaped me and, and gave me the foundation and the platform I suppose to push on.
0: Yeah. the the, the um, I think fairly early on in your coaching career, you had a, a stint as assistant, young Matilda's coach. And I'm guessing in many of the Aussies that are currently playing in that uh, women's Super League in England right now may have been in that group. And now, you—you, you, last year you were appointed as the assistant manager for the um, England under 19, um, young lionesses, I think that's what we call them. Firstly, congratulations. That's a—that—that's that, a wonderful gig for an Aussie to get. Get all that secret inside information. You can yeah, make Australia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do, you, do you? I mean, they're—they're they're a fair few years apart, but were there similarities in, in what was going on, and you know how much you, you, you obviously enjoy that development. Uh, work as well, and probably in COVID, I'm not quite sure how much interaction you had with the with the English stuff.
1: Yeah, it was tough. You know, um, I, I there was there was two camps that I was due to go on. I got to go on one, and then the second one I, was when I had COVID, so I actually I couldn't um, I couldn't attend that one. And then it's been kind of shut down, obviously, since that point. So um, it it's it's a part of the job that I love. Um, working with that age group, you know, that 19, 20 age group, they're cheeky, um, you know, they're respectful, but they're cheeky. Um, they're still learning who they are so that, you know, that, that piece around self-reflection and getting them to really understand what it takes to be a professional footballer, um, you know, they're primed for absorbing that information. Um, they want to learn, they're hungry, they want to break into whether that's senior footballer that, Domestic level or, or push on for international selections. So, yeah, I love working with that age group. I think they they keep you on your toes. Um, <laughs> they teach me new words as well. So at least then I can, you know, be down with the kids and know exactly what's going on. Because 38 now, it's, I'm out of the loop. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a great it's a great thing. And I think one of the things that I've really kind of appreciated, I guess, is the working with the with you know, with that 19s England group is understanding what the gap is between sort of the domestic league um, and and the international, senior international section in terms of some of the performance stuff. I think that's really important. Um, And how the clubs can work, you know, together with the national team for the players to really achieve their potential. I think that's probably been one of the key learnings for me. And one of the reasons I really enjoy that role is, because it constantly keeps me on my toes. I think, oh gosh, I didn't realize that, or I didn't realize that. And, you know, how can we replicate some of that sort of stuff? And yeah, it's a great learning opportunity. That's how I see it. I don't, yeah. you know, a lot of people think it's about sort of going to St. George's Park and getting lovely food and um, working <laughs> with the best players. But for me, it's just, I come back and my brain hurts because I've, you know, absorbed so much. And yeah. it's a great professional development opportunity for me as a coach. Um, and yeah, I'm really grateful that I obviously have that, that chance when maybe others don't probably get, get as good an opportunity.
0: Yeah. What are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned in your journey so far?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, (laughs) someone asked me this one the other week, actually. Um, they said, what would be the one thing you would say to your younger self, which I think is a great, you know, reflection, but, um, that there's probably there's two there's two things you know that that are really important for me one is if you want something go after it don't let somebody tell you that you can't have it um because again you know everyone's got an opinion and everyone thinks they know you but there's very few people that actually really truly know you as an individual and what makes you tick um whether that's as a player or, or as a coach so You know, if you've got a a goal or a dream or whatever it is, then go for it. Um, Be realistic with it. Make sure you've got steps in place, but don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. So that would be my first one. And my second one that I've learned over probably the last four years is be respected, not liked. And I think that's really, um, really important distinction because as a coach, we want players to... You know, I, I'm a very, you know I, I'm I'm a person first. That's my kind of approach, but that also needs there needs to be clear boundaries in place and and um, clear goals for the players. So I'd, I'd rather them respect me than like me because you know once you sort of taper off into that liking section, it's very difficult to bring it back. Then you know if you want to have a robust conversation with a player or you need to sort of push them and take them outside their comfort zone, there needs to be that level of respect there. So whether that's a player or a staff, respect's really important and it goes both ways. Um, so they're my two probably key learnings, I think, over the, the course of, you know, my coaching career so far is, uh, you know, try try and get that respect rather than the likingness.
0: Mm. Love that too. We're on the downhill run here, um, <laughs> <laughs> which you're probably, probably pleased about. <laughs> um, so what what does success look like right now for you? Apart from having a beautiful baby boy,
1: yeah, let's get through tomorrow. That's a <laughs> that's a massive tick. Um, yeah, it's, look, success for me is um, I, I'm living the like I am living the dream. Like I've spoken a lot about the, I guess the the difficulties of the last twelve or eighteen months, but I wouldn't change any of it. Um, I have the best job in the world. I get to go to work, well, not at the moment, but I get to go to work every <laughs> single day. Um, work with some of the best players who are amazing they're amazing people they're amazing individuals Um, some of the best you know football brains and experts in their field whether that's you know sports science or medical physiotherapy whatever it is Um, I get to do that every day as a job and I (laughs) you know I don't think there is much more success than that I don't feel like I you know, I don't feel like I go to work every day, and that's mm. that's a dream I think. So that's success for me because I look at some people and their job that they're in, and they just they're going through the motions, or they, you know, are always looking onto the next thing or the next thing. And I just yeah. think I'm so lucky, um, in particular in in COVID and and the way that things have gone and everything that people have had to sacrifice. The fact that I still get to do my job that I love every single day with the people that, you know, mean the world to me, that that's success. Um, I guess the one thing that's missing is is family, but there's loads of people that are, you know, separated from their loved ones at the moment, and that that's probably the one difficult piece. But, um, you know, for me, success is being able to do this every single day, um, and it's something I probably never thought would happen for a kid from the bush.
0: Yeah, from the Pilbara region. Um, long, lo, long may that continue um, I, I've got a question about wis- wisdom to finish up with but I, I think you answered it before so, so let me change this last question just a little bit I, I know that you've got uh, an indig- indigenous heritage you were the first uh, indigenous woman to, cap- to captain in the, um, the W League in Australia Football Australia this year will appoint a, a national indigenous football manager for the first time I wonder if you've had any thoughts about how we attract more women and and uh, more coaches, uh, women and girls into the game, and more players as well. Is is there anything there where you think that the game needs to grow and learn, and and, and maybe some wisdom you could share in that space? I think
1: there's a. I think that's a million dollar question. If I'm honest, yeah. um, I there's a couple of like. Just little nuggets that i think are um important and and one of them is is visibility um you know you can't be what you can't see so again i spoke earlier about as a as a you know a leader a female leader we've got a responsibility to um be role models and and to try and um, be visible and be accessible i think that's the other thing um, to to those that are looking to come through and support them in that journey um whether that's through you know being a, a mentor or um, or what, what, however they need support i think um, being accessible and visible is one thing for in particular for female coaches it's such a rough journey you look at you know going through your, your coaching license and, and your badges and you're normally probably one of i, I think I was one of 50 two or two or 52 females on that course it's difficult there's Mm. barriers there and you know we we need to look to address those barriers and, and support females as much as we can and and that's the same in terms of players um making sure there's a clear pathway um whether that's for kids in the city or kids in in the bush um you know making sure we've got a clear visible pathway for them to come through making sure they've got role models there making sure that we look at some of the barriers because it's not as easy as just, you know, pick it. I've been through it. It was horrendous to move from where I was comfortable to come down to Perth to then try and play. And, you know, that, that whole process was, was like, really difficult. And I'm, I was just really lucky that I had family and friends around me to help support. But some, some players won't have that. So looking at some of the barriers to really make sure that we support um, and give the... The players and the athletes the best possible chance to succeed. I think that's really really important. Um, And you know, I I think football Football Australia now they've made some great they've made some great strides and some great steps. And you know, pointing someone in that role is going to really really help help with that. And um, I'm so excited to see how it how it grows with the World Cup. Obviously, you know, 2023. I'm getting confused with all my years now. (laughs) Everything's been pushed back, but it's a great opportunity to have something sat sat at the top and us to filter filter from down below in terms of some of the, the grassroots and the foundation stuff and and I think they're taking good steps to do that. But for me, it's just around the barriers. Let's look at the barriers. Let's look at how we can address some of those barriers and and take some of those barriers away, um, and make make it a positive experience for people. That's what people want. That's why people coach. That's why people play. They want they want to feel good. They want you know they don't want to have to necessarily battle all the time so you know there's going to be elements of that but let's try yeah. and take some of that away and, and allow a really fleet uh, free-flowing kind of um pathway if you like whether that's yeah. as a player or a coach i think that's really important
0: help everyone love the game first eh? exactly right we might finish it there tanya thank you very much for being incredibly generous <laughs> with your time so no close problem. so close to uh Going in for a C-section tomorrow. Good luck to you and Alice. Uh, I'm sure it will work out great. Good luck to Bristol City for the three games to go.
1: Well, good question. Now you put me on the spot. <laughs> I, think there, I think there might be four. four. I think there might be four. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, we want to see Bristol City stay up in that Women's Super League. Really, really important. So, thank you again, Tanya. Really, thank you. Incredible wisdom for coaches here in Australia. Good luck Thanks tomorrow. For having me. You're listening to the Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and making media the podcast professionals. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Tanya, um, please head off to footballcoachesaus.org.au to find out more about Football Coaches Australia and, and what we can help you do. Um, and if you add forward slash memberships there, you can even buy a membership and keep this organisation heading forward. You have a great day.